Psychology in Seattle. Hello and welcome to Psychology in Seattle. I'm your host, Kirk Honda, licensed therapist. Please visit psychologyinseattle.com. Go to our support us page and learn how you can support us. Because without your support, we will wither and die and stop making podcasts. So go to the Support Us page um, on our website and support us. Also, on our website, I've been adding links and other fun stuff, so check that out periodically. You can email us at contact at psychologyinseattle.com. That's contact at psychologyinseattle.com. Today's music is provided by Bread Knife Incident, whose music is available on iTunes. And you can support us by telling friends about us, particularly if they're in the field, right? Today we have a special guest back on the podcast, Dr. Ann Blake. She's a friend of mine, and she's also a co-worker. We're both professors at Antioch University. Welcome to the podcast, Ann. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be back. Originally, we were going to have you interpret Umberto and Mandy's Myers-Briggs profiles, but yes. Umberto contracted the norovirus, mm. so he's at home vomiting and <laughs> other things of that ilk. I'm so sorry. Yeah. So it's just me and Anne today. I thought it'd be good to have Anne on the show to explain the Myers-Briggs on this episode and then have you back on the show to interpret Umberto and Mandy's profiles. Sound super, good? super. Okay. So explain the Myers-Briggs test. Okay. So the first thing to do is to do a correction from our last podcast, and that is that um, Carl Jung actually called himself C.G. Jung, always, always, always. So I had referred to him by his name, Carl, and he didn't go by that, so we will refer to him as C.G. So in the previous episode, you talked about Jungian analytical psychology. And uh, we played it for our colleagues. We yes, sent the link out yes, to our colleagues. And one yes, of our colleagues, yes, um, yes, our, yes. our boss's boss's boss, shall exactly. we say, said uh, a, a, a C.G. Young fan yes. told you that, and you already knew this, right, I assume. I certainly knew this, and I didn't know how specifically important it was. Yeah. And he approached me with all due respect, yeah. offered his hands to me in the hallway, and said, could I give you this, this, with a great big grin on his face, this slightest bit of feedback, which was absolutely fabulously perfect. So C.G. Young himself, Young himself, yeah. preferred other people to refer to him as C.G. Young, not Carl. Yes. Because yes. why is that? Why? I have. I don't know. I think I'm going to start doing that. I just, I'm going <laughs> to, you have to not call me K. Is that all right? K, KJ. Absolutely. KJ. Fine. I may be. Don't call me Kirk. I'm now KJ Honda. <laughs> and I, I am. When I was a tiny child, my dad called me AB. AB. So some of my family calls me AB. AB Blake. AB Blake. Oh, yeah, that's a ring to it. Um, C.G. Jung actually wasn't a fan of the Myers Briggs. The, the original developers of the Myers Briggs personality inventory or the type indicator were. Catherine Cook Briggs and her daughter, Isabel Briggs Myers. That's right. They developed it during World War II. Ah. And again, it says here in Wikipedia, so correct me if, if I'm wrong. Believing that a knowledge of personality preferences would help women who were entering the industrial workforce for the first time to identify the sort of wartime jobs that would be most comfortable and effective, quote unquote. Well, that's even better than the booklet says, because it does say, prompted by the waste of human potential in World War II, they began developing this indicator. To, to give a wide range of individuals access. But I'm even more pleased that it's about women. Yeah. The initial questionnaire grew into the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, which was first pub published in 1962. 62. Oh, that's easy to remember. And so you're saying that it's in its sixth edition right now. Is that what you said? Yes. Okay. It is based on Jung's typology, 
which has to do with um, functions, namely thinking and feeling and sensing and intuiting, as well as introversion, extroversion, and as well as judging and perceiving. And so they take all those um, indicators into account and come up with a profile. So C.G. Young had a theory about different personality types and these four spectra. And then yeah. these two women came along and develop a psychometric to measure that in people exactly. based on exactly. Young's theory. The indicator is incredibly popular, um, used a lot for career counseling and um, people in business use it. I, I must have taken it 10 times in my life when, when I think about other personality tests that I've taken. Um, this is you know, by far the most prevalent. So you said that Jung didn't like this test. That's what I've been told. Okay. I don't know specifics about that. Huh. Uh, a hunch is that it, it might be too simplistic. The other thing is that uh, the authors say that this is not an absolute numerical sequence that is you. Mm-hmm. It's just an indicator of this moment, mm-hmm. and it's a slice of information that might be useful. Although we seem to be born with preferences along these areas, we slide a lot. So I've taken it several times. I do show some differences. Yeah, I could see how, say, for instance, you're young and you're shy. You might be more introverted on the scale. And as you as you get older and you might get more self-esteem or more enjoyment from from extroverted activities, you, you might start answering questions indicating more extroversion. Yes. Okay. Not to overvalue extroversion over introversion, of course. <laughs> Please no. Just as an example. Though. In talking about typology, Jung described the unusefulness of being one-sided. And so he thought that people should have or, or would be ideal to have all of the ends of the continuum. And that at midlife, which was then 35 and is now much older. <laughs> <laughs> We actually come closer to the middle Mm. and not so far out on the extremes Mm. and maybe even shift our typology some Mm. because we're becoming whole human beings as we age and we can take that other half. I I think of the yin-yang and so the other half, we change from the light to the dark. Mm. And it's like handedness. Um, My second father was ambidextrous, so he could... He could use either hand to pitch baseball, um, and that's very useful. So people who are very, very left-handed or right-handed are actually limited by not being able to, to use the left hand if something is being thrown from the left side. Mm-hmm. So flexibility is valued in this model. Yes, okay. so that I use the function that the task calls for rather than I'm stuck in a rut and I'm inflexible and this is what I do. So you have choice given what you want to do rather than you're forced into a particular way of acting based on rigidity in your personality. Yes. Okay. Yes. And and as we talk about mental health, that's what we tend to value mm-hmm. is flexibility. Adaptability. Well, I would love first to read a poem. Great. And also a little bit of a reading from a book um, by Kirsty and Bates called Please Understand Me. But the, f- the first is a poem by William Stafford. This is called A Ritual to Read to Each Other, and it's from his book, The Darkness Around Us is Deep. A Ritual to Read to Each Other. If you don't know the kind of person I am, and I don't know the kind of person you are, a pattern that others made may prevail in the world, and following the wrong God home 
we may miss our star. For there's many a small betrayal in the mind, a shrug that lets the fragile sequence break, sending with shouts the horrible errors of childhood, storming out to play through the broken dike. As elephants parade, holding each elephant's tail, but if one wanders, the circus won't find the park. I call it cruel, and maybe the root of all cruelty, to know what occurs but not recognize the fact. And so I appeal to a voice, to something shadowy, a remote, important region in all who talk. Though we could fool each other, we should consider, lest the parade of our mutual life get lost in the dark. For it is important that awake people be awake, or a breaking line may discourage them back to sleep. The signals we give, yes or no or maybe, should be clear. The darkness around us is deep. So for me, that speaks to knowing self and therefore being, know, being able to know other. And then the darkness recedes somewhat. Yeah, yeah it seems to have a contemplative quality to it. Um, mm-hmm. That's what I felt, you know, a sense of, oh, yeah, who am I? Mm-hmm. What, what's going on with me right now? Yeah. And yeah. what is my authentic self? Yes, exactly. Okay. And then this is different drums and different drummers. Again, from Kersey and Bates, please understand me. If I did not want what you want, please try not to tell me that my want is wrong. Or if I believe other than you, at least pause before you correct my view. Or if my emotion is less than yours or more, given the same circumstances, try not to ask me to feel more strongly or weakly. Or yet if I act or fail to act in the manner of your design for action, let me be. I do not, for the moment at least, ask you to understand me. That will come only when you are willing to give up changing me into a copy of you. I may be your spouse, your parent, your offspring, your friend, or your colleague. If you will allow me any of my own wants or emotions or beliefs or actions... Then you open yourself so that someday these ways of mine might not seem so wrong and might finally appear to you as right for me. To put up with me is the first step to understanding me. Not that you embrace my ways as right for you, but that you are no longer irritated or disappointed with me for my seeming waywardness. And in understanding me, you might come to prize my differences from you, and far from seeing to change me, preserve and even nurture those differences. So again, that is what the Myers-Briggs seeks to do, mm. is to let me know who I am, to also give me information about how other people are different from me and that those differences are valuable. So when we are scared, when we are... Um, feeling less than powerful. Um, We tend to want to be attuned to and mirrored. And that's a perfectly acceptable thing to do in those times when we are frightened. The rest of the time, it's useful to say, I learn the most from people who are the most different from me. And that's about diversity and cultural competence and living in a pluralistic society. And that is what gets us into so much trouble in the world. So differences 
I, I sometimes bristle because I'm trying to make a point and other people are, are either saying no or it's different than this. And I sometimes bristle and I have to say, okay, look, <laughs> we're just trying to communicate with each other. It's not about me being v- validated by someone being the same as me. But when that happens, it sometimes feels pretty good. Yeah. The image that I had as you were reading that was of a couple trying to understand each other specifically. But as you broaden it to just every relationship, it makes sense. Yes. Uh, But the, the image I had was of a couple where both people are different slightly or, you know, in some major ways. And, um, you know, miss each other sometimes in terms of trying to understand each other, mis- misunderstand each other. Yes. And um, by under- by valuing the differences and by empathizing with the other person, by understanding the other person, a lot of our problems can be solved. Yeah. Rather than looking at everyone uh, to be exactly like us or to think just like us or to process just like us or to have the exact same opinions as, as us. Yeah. Um, in that is suffering, right? Yes. Yeah. These kind of formulations um, give us language for that so that I can say I'm an ISFJ and people who know about this test will know what that means. It's a shorthand way like many of the things we talk about. It's a jargon way. And I can also explain that with phrases and descriptions and say this is how I process and I want to hear how you process. We're processing differently. Right. A friend of mine would sometimes say that she is – I can't remember the string of letters, but she would say, well, I'm a da-da-da-da-da, yeah. which means I'm a terrible planner. So don't expect me to plan anything because I'm too random and I'm too in the moment and I – you know, so don't expect me to plan anything because actually planning makes my head hurt, you know. Yes. So she understands that about herself yes. through experience. And yes. And announces it so that people don't get disappointed when she doesn't do what they hope her to do. That is correct, yeah. So it is useful to understand ourselves and to be able to describe ourselves to others. As I said in the first time we were together, I don't use client examples. I use my family, so I apologize in advance to my family. Um, my sister is definitely sensing, and I'm going to read you the, the uh, definition of sensing. So sensing is people who prefer to take in information through the five senses and focus on the here and now. That is opposite from intuition, which is what I am. And intuitive people prefer to take in information from patterns of the big picture and focus on the future possibilities. So sensing people look at facts and intuitive people look at hunches. So we both know things, but we know it differently. Yeah, And those two of the four pairs are the two that most that people have the most difficulty with. So people who are different on those two things about taking in information is the most conflictual and misunderstood between people. And I might have said this during the first broadcast, because my sister is a detail person and I'm an overview, she needs to tell the story And she needs to tell the whole story. So she backs up and adds more details. Once I knew that that was necessary for her, rather than just different and a little overwhelming for me, I can let her do that. And she will ask me detailed questions and I will say, I don't know because that's not what I pay attention to. But here's what I pay attention to and I can add this. And so when people are different like that, they bring different talents to the table. And that's useful. 
So is that a common trait of a sensing person to talk a, a lot about details and yes. and and bore the crap out of uh, the <laughs> the intuitive people? That's not what's so common if we know what's going on. <laughs> it's overwhelming for me. But is it boring? Because I, I could see it being boring and overwhelming. Yes, it can be. It can be boring and overwhelming. Yeah. And on the converse side. For people who are sensing and dealing with a person like me, I'm not going to be able to give details. I don't think of asking the questions. If I do ask the questions, I'm going to lose the content because I I focus on process Uh rather than content. So I'm good at getting the gestalt of something. Uh I'm not so good at doing the details. So just as an example, if you were consulting on a case and someone was asking you questions about a case, might you give impressions rather than quotes from the client? That's exactly the word, impressions. I see. So when I give presentations, um, I've got stuff in front of me. And once once I look at the headlines, I just can go. Uh, but I'm not going to like, – like when we were talking about when was – who are the authors of this and when was it published? It's like, I don't know. Yeah. I can find information, right. but I don't know it on my top of my head. Whereas your sister, those details would have stuck in her brain or she would have made sure to have those present right yes. from the beginning. Yeah. Those aren't things that, that are at the front of your mind or that no. you necessarily retain or pay attention no. to. Okay. No. Huh. So those two types of people have a lot of conflict in your experience yes. or according to research or just yes. your experience? Absolutely. According to research. It seems like a major problem at a workplace too, right? Which this is used a lot for. Yes. How people get along at work. Yes. You know, a manager that's very detail-oriented, a a sensor person, uh, has a underling, so to speak, that is an intuitor person who's a big picture sort of person. Yes. I could see how they would be very at odds. Yeah, absolutely. We sometimes go in and consult with companies and say, here are some descriptors. So I have a whole packet of things um, that I can that I give to people and say, mm-hmm. I want you to read about yourself and I want you to read about the opposite. Uh-huh. So let me just say the other sure. um, three pairs. Yeah. So extroversion and introversion are, are C.G. Jung's words, his concepts. So extroverts are people who tend to focus on, focus their attention on the outer world of people and things. They charge their batteries by being with people. And doing things. Introverts prefer to focus their attention on the inner world of ideas and impressions. And introverts charge their battery by being alone. Right. A common misunderstanding that I kind of made earlier was that shy people are introverts, which isn't necessarily true. That is correct. Yeah. I, I've heard this detail to describe extrovert versus introvert is how one charges one's battery. Exactly. And you'll ask, I've asked people, it's like, well, so at the end of the day, when you're stressed out or you're kind of tired from work, would you rather talk with someone that you care about or, or would you rather just be alone to recharge? What, which recharges your battery? And a lot of people will say, oh, I, I need to be alone or, oh my God, like I need to talk to someone. And again, you see a lot of conflicts in this in, in couples, you know? Well, and because we are attracted to our opposite for good reasons. And so in couples and in workplaces and every other relationship, again, we're attracted to the opposite so that we can learn from that. And, and our initial attraction to 
that in the other person, we then recede back into our own comfort zone and say, well, I don't like that you do it that way, rather than I want to learn from you about that. Right. In my psychodynamic framework, I see it as a repressed interject or an internal <laughs> representation that's being recreated through the repetition compulsion, as Freud would have put it. In our own parents, there are sometimes that these dichotomies that get replayed. Yeah. And But yeah, so often in our therapy, we will see clients that have these very different... Oh, absolutely. You know, extrovert, introvert, for instance. And through this model, yeah. one can understand the other and not disparage them, think of them as, in, you know, say one person is extroverted, they come home, they really want to talk, and the other person's like, back off, I, you know, yeah. stop yammering at me. Um, that could feel very insensitive. It could be very hurtful to the person. But if they understand that, oh, yes. they're an introvert, they need to recharge by being alone, yeah. and then they can come to me once their battery is recharged, I can wait for them, or I, maybe I need to find an extra friend that I talk with or something like that. And the other thing about introverts, at least in my experience of myself, is I am so much better one-to-one. I like groups when I know them. So I'm involved in like four or five groups at the moment for my personal well-being and support. But parties are, are just death to me. I really dislike them. I go to them because I feel responsible to the people who are giving them, but I don't enjoy it. Right. So you would walk away from a party going, oh, I need to be, al- I need to be alone. I need to recharge my battery. Yeah. Whereas I get in a- my car and relax. Yeah. Whereas another person, they go to a party and they're energized. They walk away going, wow, that was energizing to me. I, I wish I didn't really- have to leave. Yeah. So the thinking and feeling um, is how we make decisions. And so thinking people pretty obvious, make decisions based on logic and objective analysis of cause and effect. So it's an analytic process. And feeling people make decisions based on values and subjective evaluation of person-centered concerns. So it's about appreciation as opposed to analysis. I run into this a lot in my world when people talk about things like science versus religion or Mm -hmm alternative medicine versus what scientists might call evidence-based medicine or this sort of thing. You know, someone says, when I take this supplement, it works for me. And then the other person says, well, the science says that (laughs) it's not likely to work for you. And these people are at complete odds with each other. And the, and they, they very inf- they very infrequently understand each In fact, I w- in my experience, they never understand each other. Yes, absolutely. Rather than seeing it's right or wrong the way we do things, if we can have a dialogue about it and say, your perspective can really add to my perspective. Right. Rather than I can only read things and hear things that agree with my perspective. I mean, we get into arguments all the time. Yeah. On the basis of, I, I need to be heard, I need to be right. So just to get back to this this last spectrum, so there's a thinking versus feeling. That seems to be the most intuitive in terms of understanding. It's like, you know, there's logic versus what something feels like. And, and feels like in terms of valuing. So it's not about emotion. It's about value, which again is, an, is, is almost like a belief. What I value is pretty hard to debate with me huh. rather almost... than what I analyze to be true. Last time when we were talking, I gave the example of buying a car. And a friend of mine said, please don't just buy the first car you see. And so we read the the consumer report and I went to all the places that I wanted to go and we said Honda yeah. and Toyota. And, and so I drove things, drove things, drove things. And then I came to my Honda dealer and thinking, well, I'll get a Civic. And then I saw the Red Del Sol. Mm-hmm. 
And I just knew that that was my car. So a thinking person, <laughs> it sounds funny to say that you're an unthinking person, <laughs> but on this spectrum, yes. a thinking person would have said, oh, I kind of have this intuition that I that I want to buy this Del Sol, but it's not logical. It doesn't make sense. Because it doesn't. Yeah. It's a two-seater. It's a small car. A big truck will run over me. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. So might thinkers take longer to make decisions? Than they can get to an, into analysis paralysis, yes. Yeah. yeah. Intuitive people look a little more spontaneous, but actually it comes from a deep valuing yeah. and a recognition. Yeah, something that's un, intangible maybe yes, sometimes. Yes, intangible to other people. But it feels right. Yes. I could also see intuitive people taking a long time to make a decision if nothing feels right. Yes. I can think of intuitive people that I would I think are in, on the intuitive side of the of the spectrum who can't pick a career. Yes. Because careers are so complicated and yeah. nothing really jumps out at them. That's right. And some of us don't have rather than having a narrow range of what interests us, we have a wide range and that makes it really hard. So I don't know if I gave this example the last time, but I was looking for an outfit for a family event and a friend decided to come help me. And she she would bring this thing forward and this thing forward and I would say no and I would say no and, and she was getting frustrated and taking it just a little bit personally. Like she was disappointed that she wasn't able to help me and that I was being negative. And she finally said to me, look, what do you want? And we sat down and I said, I can't tell you what I want. I cannot describe what I want. I will recognize it when I see it, but until I see it, I can't describe it. When I see it, I'll go, oh, that's what I want and I can describe it. But I won't know till I recognize it. Till I see it in front of me, then I know. So that statement comes from a place of self-awareness that yes. other people might not have yes. and therefore yes. get insulted and yes. get into a fight and say, stop pressuring me. Right, right, you know, right. Or can't you, were, you make up your mind? You were able to say, this is how I work. Right. It's interesting to be able to tell other people how we process things, how we make decisions, how we think. Yeah. That is a, an important piece of self-awareness that is very useful just as a conflict is about to begin, right? Right. Yeah. One of the issues is that we have to get out of content, which is you said, she said, we said, into process. So process is describing what is going on. And we don't have a whole lot of social permission to do that. So that's what we do a lot in therapy with our clients. But in terms of social engagement, we don't have a lot of permission to do that. So when someone says to that person, you know, your tone bothers me, that's flame on the fire. Yeah. Especially if they're not in the field that we are in. Yeah. They think we're wielding our psychology weapon against them. Stop analyzing me. I know. Don't play your tricks on me. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to do one more, how we deal with the outer world, and that is from by judging or perceiving. So judging is people who prefer to um, have a planned and organized approach um, to life and prefer to have things settled. So I have a calendar, and that's how I live my life, as opposed to people who are perceiving who tend to like a spontaneous and flexible approach and to keep their options open. So judging people are bring it to conclusion, and perceiving people are about understanding possibilities and being open to them. So this friend of yours said, I don't plan very well, so just know that about me. Yeah, yeah. Right, so she's the perceiving side of the spectrum. Yeah. Might we just call them flaky? 
<laughs> Again, a trap that I'm not going to fall into. <laughs> I guess but, but, I'm a judger because um, <laughs> I judge the flaky people. Yeah, I definitely follow a schedule and I, I'm a very punctual person. We had an appointment tonight at 730. Yeah. I left school at 721 thinking it would take me a while. Yeah. When I got here early, I walked around the block. So I'd come in at the right moment. You know, it's a good skill to have as a therapist and as a professor because we're so regulated by our appointments yes. and people really depend on us being early yes. and being well scheduled, you know, whereas you could see, a, a, I have friends of mine and, and colleagues that are always late. Yeah. Like I just, I tell them a half hour early just because I know they're going to be late. My mother. Yeah. yeah. Well, and from their perspective, it would be about being spontaneous yeah. and about about being flexible yeah. and not rigid. Right. And I know that it was tongue in cheek somewhat when you said, could we call them flaky? But it is that position where from my perspective, it works for me and it should work for other people. Yeah. And we are different. And in fact, these eight, these, um, eight things turn out to be 16 different blocks of, dis- of descriptions. Right. So there are at least 16 different ways that we can be. Yeah. And then when we do the test, we're either slight score, moderate score, clear score, or very, very clear score. So that also puts shadings on all of these things. Mm-hmm. So for instance, on my introversion, extroversion, I am very cuspy. Meaning you're right in the middle? Yeah, okay. I'm like one point to either side. Okay. And so I can be extroverted. So I can teach, I can have this conversation. Comfortable enough, I can be the life of the party. Given my real desire at the end of the day, I'm in my car alone and breathing. Mm-hmm. And then I'm home and quiet. And that's how I ch- recharge. Mm-hmm. The wonderful thing that I think about the Myers-Briggs is that it is in some ways acultural. Now, even Jung, who came up with these ideas, has some pejorative things to say about introverts. Mm. And um, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the new version that's coming out, wanted to make introversion a disorder. Really? Uh Uh-huh. Why? Well, because people see us as too pulled in and not sociable enough. What was the wording in the proposed DSM? It would have to be really problematic introversion. I mean, it would have to be like, introverts would have to be very upset with themselves not from a cultural oppression standpoint, but from an actual... This, these things are on a continuum. Yeah. And so the further one gets out on a continuum about anything, so moderation is a, is a useful thing. So as we get out into any of the ends of the continuum yeah. on these eight topics, that can be problematic. Yeah. But if someone wants to not socialize very much or they like to hang out by themselves a lot, I can't see why that's pathology. Well, I know. I know. So how often do you administer this and where? So when I first started into practice, I when I was working with couples, I gave them uh, this test. And there was even a couple's version of it, which is no longer published. Um, I'm Again, because I'm not much of a detailed person, I stopped doing that. But as you and I talk about it, um, I'm thinking of some couples, and I think it would be useful for them. So I think I'm going to do that. Um, occasionally, I talk to people about career, and I like to do this because it has some um, connection with some careers. So at least we could narrow that down. Um, I t- 
teach advanced theories Jungian once a year. I always administer it to the students. And in our career counseling class at Antioch, the instructor always uses this instrument for the students. Okay. So at Antioch, we do it um, probably four times a year, the students. I'm curious, is there a typical Antiochian profile student? Well, that's a factual question. <laughs> <laughs> so at Antioch University of Seattle, we have a couple and family program, and we have a clinical mental health program. And clinical mental health people deal mostly with individuals and groups. We also can do families and couples. The clinical uh, the, the couple and family um, students and professors deal mostly with couples and families. They certainly can see individuals. It seems to me that because of the systemic theoretical perspective of the couple and family program, it tends to be more extroverted people because they're a little more directive in how they work. The, the clinical mental health people um, are more looking intra-psychically. And rather than inter-psychically, intrapersonal rather than interpersonal. And so I think the CFT, the couple and family people, tend to be more extroverted. And the clinical mental health people tend to be more, more introverted. And I remember a specific student who went into a couple and family, and this person was really quite introverted, and pretty quickly came back and said, actually, it's just too much thinking for me. So I think the strategic systemic th part is a thinking function and the valuing perceptive part is a more feeling function. So I, I bet we would fall out certainly across the curve but kind of bunched up. I'm on the couple and family therapy side of the, mm -hmm. of the aisle, shall we say. And, um, <laughs> and yeah, I, I would say it's definitely possible. I could also see it not bearing out. For instance, me... If you just heard me speak about my theory of change, people would think that I'm wildly Freudian to some extent mm -hmm. and would say, oh, he's definitely not family therapy because uh, family therapists traditionally reject psychodynamic thought outright. Not all the time, of course. And also, I just have a personal value about trying to bridge gaps. And, and, yeah. and so I, I like to see it, all of us in the psychology school to be... Uh, more similar than different. Yeah. And as an added data point, Paul David, his dissertation was on studying the differences between MHC students and CFT students. I did not know that. Yeah. Unfortunately for him, because he was trying to prove that there was a difference, there was no noticeable difference between the students regarding their assessment of a session with a family. He yeah. he showed a family session to a bunch of students, CFT and 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 um, MHC, and asked them to analyze the family to to provide a, a written narrative of of their analysis of of the family, and then those assessments were coded for either systemic language or yeah. individual yeah. therapy language. Yeah. And there was no difference between really? the two groups, which is counterintuitive, yeah. but is in line with my hope. And yeah. that is, is that, you know, we're all very similar in, in my mind and there's a lot of mixing. Well, especially because we at Antioch, we teach people, the beginning classes are a mix for everybody of individually oriented classes and systemic classes. If people want to take this test, what should they do? That's an incredibly good question. So on the internet are versions of this. 
Whether they are the Myers-Briggs, I don't know. But when I did a workshop for the Antioch University Seattle staff members, some of them took it on the web. Um, when they brought the results to me, it wasn't as much information as as is on the regular Myers-Briggs. Um, so it was a little bit less information and not as specific. But that is available on the Internet. Do you think they're accurate when they – the profile that they spit back at the person, do you think they're as accurate as the test you have? I think I think it's broad brushstroke rather than fine brushstroke. Okay. The other way to do it is you have to go to a counselor because counselors have to buy the scoring and buy the booklets and the test. The official MBTI. Yeah. yeah test and yeah. the scoring yes. software. Is it a software? No, it's a piece of paper that smells like celery. Uh, smells like <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it is made out of celery. Yeah. So um, some strong points for sensing types and intuitive types, which are, again, um, opposite poles. The sensing types types contribute to the public welfare by their support of every form of enjoyment and recreation and every variety of comfort, luxury, and beauty. So these folks participate in the culture with great enthusiasm. And intuitive types contribute to the public welfare by their inventiveness, initiative, enterprise, and powers of inspired leadership in every direction of human interest. So those are two very different aspects of personality. Those descriptions are interesting, but I'm having a hard time putting those into a person. I mean... It sounds like the sensing people contribute to society by... Well, and participating and paying attention. Paying attention. So as an intuitive, (laughs) I am so fortunate to have friends who pay attention to things and invite me. I hardly ever invite people to things because I'm just not paying attention. And so they they read the paper, they go online, they notice things that are coming, and they call and say, do you want to do this? I invariably say, yes, thank you so much. I just don't pay attention. And I love the arts. And as an intuitive, I contribute by inventing things, by imagining things, by looking at possibilities, Uh and not so attuned to the factual sensing the five senses. Okay. And I think this is connected with intuitive. It might also just be connected to my wiring. I don't do time. The only way I know time has shifted is if the sun comes up or the sun goes down. Huh. That's the only way I know time. How does that manifest? So, for instance, I work on a 50-minute hour. I have clocks all over that I can see without turning my head or looking down at my watch. Sometimes when, when clients start a new topic, um, the, own, the inner clock that I have, which is really inaccurate, starts over. So I would go on forever with the client. I, I don't have a sense of 50 minutes, even though I've been doing this for 30 years. So you get lost in the moment a lot. Yes. In class, people have to tell me it's time to take a break. I see. Yeah. So the benefit to that is that you're fully in the moment. I am so fully in the moment. Mm. So like with you, I have no idea what time it is. I have no idea how long we've been at this. Eventually, I will get tired or hungry. So that's another way I know time passes. Well, it's been about three minutes into the interview. (laughs) So we have a ways to go. Thank goodness. (laughs) Actually, we've been sitting here for four and a half hours, and I have to go to the bathroom desperately. Um, And I was just waiting for you to bring this up. No, just joking. Okay. Any any other ones? In terms of thinking and feeling, the contribution and strength of a thinking type is they contribute um, by intellectual criticism, 
of habits, customs, and beliefs by the exposure of wrongs, solution of problems, and the support of science and research for enlarging human knowledge. The feeling types contribute by their loyal support of good works and those movements, and they are generally regarded as good by the community which they feel correctly about so they can serve effectively. So so feeling people are going to are going to be involved in things that they value, and they will be wholeheartedly involved in those things. And thinking types are going to be more concerned with specific solution of problems and outcomes. It's complicated. Yeah. Can can you give an example of of what that might look like? So a research scientist as contrasted with a a counselor. So counselors are going to be – certainly counselors will be interested in social justice, but as a more global – concept rather than maybe specific action. Uh Um, We will value that highly, maybe not take as much action. Thinking people are going to want results. Uh And so they will maybe be more active. They will certainly be more active in conceptual things. The feeling people might be more suited for counseling and the thinking people might be more suited for research. Yeah. But not always, of course. Right. And there's there's a crossover. Right. Certainly. So in judging and perceiving, um, judging people take great pleasure in getting something finished out of the way and off their minds. Perceptive people take great great pleasure in starting something new until the newness wears off. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So in jobs, I think it's useful to have all the typology available because all those talents are useful. And it can get frustrating when the deadline arrives because judging people are about deadline. Perceptive people are not about deadline. It's like, well, it's just going to take me another two hours and the product will be better. And the judging people are, it's time, it's due, it's a drop-dead deadline. And that can be tension between the two. Judging people aim to be right. Perceptive people aim to miss nothing. Miss nothing. Yes. Miss nothing. So possibilities, so spontaneity, so flexibility. What, but what if we spend another hour, we could get this much different. We might turn in a different direction. Something else might unfold. Whereas the judging people want to get it done. It's like, let's get it done. Don't, yeah. don't digress. Yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah, I could see how both sides are beneficial to a group of yeah. people yeah. or within a person. And it can be frustrating for each other. Yeah. And in a relationship, a romantic relationship, exactly. I could see that being a problem Absolutely. too. Absolutely. Yeah. And challenging and enriching and invigorating. Because yeah. if we are the same, it's comforting and nice for a moment. It's stultifying yeah. in the long run. Right. So you don't use this with clients anymore. I tend not to, and I talk about it a lot. And I especially talk about introversion um, with clients who I perceive as introverted because I think we're kind of beleaguered in society uh-huh. and we're not valued. I remember being at a party years ago, enjoying the heck out of myself. I might have said this the time before. And at the end of the party, a person turned to me and said, well, what did you get out of this? What did I get out of this? I had a great time. I just didn't talk very much. Oh, I was laughing. I was animated. I was appreciating. But they thought you weren't very animated. They didn't know what I got out of it because I wasn't having conversation. You weren't talking. You were listening. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really diminishing for an introvert who is having a great time. Yeah. So there's, that again, that valuation. Yeah. You didn't do it like I did it. Therefore, it's wrong. You're so quiet. 
Exactly. What's wrong with you? Exactly. Are you angry? <laughs> Are, you, Are you uncomfortable? <laughs> <laughs> now I am, but I wasn't a minute yeah, ago. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> One of the things that we talked about a little bit last time is about reclaiming the shadow yeah, yeah. and reclaiming projections. So we project all the time on people who are different from us, yeah. both in terms of typology and any other differences we can imagine. Yeah. And so those differences are also in us. And so to reclaim projections, I have people do the following. So think of somebody different from you in a typology, for instance. So I'm an introvert, so think of an extrovert. I'm a, an intuitive, so think of a sensing. I'm a judging, so think of a perceiving. I'm a feeling, so think of a thinker. Any one of those will do. And probably the one for whom I have the most annoyance. And then figure out what the typology is that annoys me. It's probably the, the opposite of mine. Mm-hmm. And then describe that um, with a statement um, or some descriptors, some adjectives. And then say, I too think, feel, behave in that way in the following ways mm. and do a description of that mm-hmm. so that then I see those other characteristics in me. I see my extroversion. Mm. I see my thinking. I see my sensing. I see my perceiving. Because if we don't see that and accept that in ourselves, then we tend to project it and exactly. dislike it in other people. Exactly. Yeah. See it as pejorative. Yeah. And others. react to it. Yes. You know? I'm yes. a planner. I hate flaky people. <laughs> You know, those flaky people instead say, I accept that I too like to be spontaneous. That I could have some flexibility in my life. That I, that I like flexibility, um, that I like to be in the moment. Because when I sign it out to you, I don't grow in that way. So someone could take the test, look at their profile, and then look at the opposite profile. Yes. And yes. see how they might be disparaging that in other people and denying it in themselves. And then try to reclaim their shadow, which is this other side of themselves. Are you willing to talk about yours and your shadow? Sure. So what what are you? So I am an introverted, intuitive, feeling, judging. So an INFJ. INFJ. Right. And so the report farm tells us that INFJs seek meaning and connection in ideas, relationships, and material possessions. We want to understand what motivates people are and are insightful about others. Um, we are conscientious and committed to firm values. Uh, we develop a clear vision about how best to serve the common good. We are organized and decisive in implementing a vision. And okay. do, you want to, do you want to hear the opposite of yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. So E-S-T-P. So that is your shadow, the side of you that doesn't express itself through the test when you're answering the question. Right. And I am very likely to have that person as a romantic partner. Interesting. And and actually as friends. Most of my friends are extroverted. Okay. So that's that's interesting. Yeah. I feel like I have a better understanding, but I also feel like I have an understanding of how broad this test is and how complicated yes. it is. Yes. 
and how it requires a fair amount of contemplation and counseling with an expert who knows how to interpret this stuff. Because huh. I, I've looked at my test results before and I've had, you know, people explain it to me, but I get the feeling like it takes an expert like you to really help someone understand really what it's saying about them and really understand the other side. Because when you put personality into words like the way that they're doing it, it's hard to really know exactly what that means. Because as you're reading from what you're reading from, I'm thinking, what exactly does that mean? And it takes someone like you again to interpret it. Well, and I think it's easier to talk about a specific individual. So if you had, say, a couple in front of you and you had the typology from each of them, you could put it into very concrete terms in terms of their personality and how they operate and how they might conflict rather than because, you know, we're trying to reduce all human beings into 16 different types. And so I'm, I'm guessing there's a lot of variation which in, within each of Absolutely. those, you know, Because types. all the scores are going to be different. And just personal preferences and the way you talk and the way you act and that sort of thing. I'm sure that there are things that aren't necessarily captured by the Myers-Briggs. Yes. And one of the other things that is important is that these are preferences that are that we're born with. And although they're not in concrete, they are preferences like handedness. I can use my left hand, but I prefer to use my right. Um, and sometimes in families, parents want their kids to be a certain way. And so they will attempt to shape them in that way. It doesn't work very well. And so better that that people get to be who they genuinely are. And then we learn and grow and develop and expand. But we have to kind of consolidate in our temperament and then expand. And it doesn't help to, to do it the opposite way. So we have to get to know who we are and accept that, become familiar with that, individuate from what we were being told we should be aside from what we are. And then from there, we can branch out and become more flexible. Yeah. So for sensing people, they can be rewarded by extra pleasures or possessions. So for that person to give them something tangible, maybe flowers, maybe... Massage? Yeah, massage. That's a great one. <laughs> um, introverts are going to want special freedoms or opportunities. An afternoon off would be great for that person. A tangible thing is not going to work. Did you say introverts or intuitives? Intuitives. Okay. So intuitives want... Special freedoms or opportunities. Intangible benefits. Yes. Like what kind yes. of a thing would you So get? an afternoon off. Oh. Um, it, it might be an experience. Um, so a ticket to something uh, um, that would, so that I could choose what I want to do. Right. So there's some freedom involved. Yeah. Um, thinking types um, are especially supported and rewarded by new or ad additional dignity or authority. So a promotion, wow. um, a recognition. Um, at Antioch, we have an annual picnic and people are given awards. We have a teacher of the year, yeah. you know. The introvert extrovert thing. Tell me if if this is correct. Is that to reward an introvert, you would want to give them time off or a office that's very far away from other people. An office with a door. With a door. Um, and extroverts, you want to throw a party for them. So, so here's an example, and I, I and I'm assuming that she would be okay with this. Um, my my colleague Sandy grades papers by sitting in a sofa in a public. Lounge, yeah, yeah, in psychology. I've seen her there, yeah. Yes, I go to the library where people can't talk to me, or I close my door. 
It's just fascinating to me that she gets that work done in the middle of people talking and interrupting her. And she thrives on that. And some people love to have parties at our at our university, yes. their birthday or yes. Yes. whatever. Holidays. And then some people will say, do not throw a party for me. I, I'm, I'm retiring <laughs> or I'm quitting. I love you all. Yes. Do not have a party for me. I, I, I won't enjoy that. Exactly. And the other side will say, what a party pooper. Why are you being so <laughs> right, negative right. when for them it might just be that they're introverted. And That's they, right. It doesn't, it doesn't give them any pleasure to have a big party where the focus is on them. No. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we all got to say yeah. what it is we want? Right. Because I imagine the, the party poopers of the world uh, <laughs> think of themselves as, as being oppressed. You know, there's something wrong with them. Yeah. They shouldn't be that way. They're negative. And especially in couples. So when we want to give gifts to each other or support each other, we often give what we want yeah. or what is supportive for us. Yeah. And then we get disappointed when the person to whom we're giving it says, actually, I don't like this. Many of us are particular about food. Yeah. So when someone is ill, we have to ask them, okay, what are your dietary needs and specialties and what can I bring you? Rather than just in the old days, you showed up with food and the person ate it or you came over for dinner and you ate was on the table. Whether you were allergic to it or not. That's right. So you're saying that we should be the same with personality types that we should say, before we give a gift, we should say, what sort of gift do you appreciate typically? I'm allergic to extroversion. Do not give me extroversion. <laughs> do, not, do not throw me a party. <laughs> I break out in hives when you throw a party for me. That is right. Well, to me, the most powerful idea in this is the general idea that someone that annoys you is not necessarily wrong. They're just sensing the world differently or their, their personality is different. And you're both right but you're just seeing the world differently or seeing th something differently. And it enriches us to be curious about the other. Right. Because it's so easy to say that person is always late. They're flaky. They have a flaw. And, and I'm not important to them. Right. Right. They don't, they obviously don't care about me because they don't show up on time rather than understanding that their personality is such that they just perceive the world differently or they perceive time differently. They perceive scheduling differently yes. and they still very much value me, but they don't know that I value being on time as much as I do. And um, understanding that that difference doesn't necessarily mean what I think it means is, is a powerful idea. One of the things that Anne DeVore who is a Jungian analyst in the area, talked about in a workshop she gave, is when we are tired and exhausted and overwhelmed by our jobs, we are probably working against type. Mm. And so, again, if we can shift ourselves or the job or find a different job that more suits us, it's going to be easier for us. So why swim upriver unless we absolutely have to? Yeah, that seems like a really good shorthand to this is at the end of the workday, if you're exhausted – and, and you don't have any energy afterwards, then maybe you're not in the right job for your personality type. Whereas some people leave their job completely energized. Exactly. They come home and they're like, you know, I still got energy left in the day. I, I'm still I, – I remember I used to work at a, at a footlocker. Ah. And at the end of the day, I was exhausted. I remember I would come home and I, I would – this is when I was in college. Yeah. And I would just – veg out for hours and go to bed and then wake up the next morning. And I remember thinking, man, is this what being a working stiff is like? Because I hate this. Yeah. 
working at Antioch and being a therapist, I have so much energy at the, at the end of the day. I really do. Yeah. I feel so, I don't know, connected to the universe sometimes, you know, when I'm doing this work and, and it's, it's not fatiguing at all to me. Um, people often say, cause I do a lot of, I work a lot of hours during the week. People say, how do you do it? So a student just said that to me today. How do you do it? I actually don't feel fatigued. You know, I actually enjoy what I do. So maybe I'm in the right job given my personality. So you're working in the flow rather than against the flow. And so Foot Locker, no. (laughs) Therapist, professor, yes. Yes. (laughs) We recently in the clinical mental health counseling program shifted to a different plan of study, which is how the students organize their courses. And we had to figure out who needed to sign that form if they wanted to change to the increased credit plan. And we were supposed to, as faculty members, figure that out and contact the students and keep track of it. I was almost in tears. I was so overwhelmed. Mm. And we have people at in our program who do those kinds of things very well. They are very sensing-oriented, very detail-oriented, can figure all that out, and had it color-coded for us, and this meant that, and that. It was just overwhelming, and I have have a contract with that person to take her out to a really, really nice dinner. I could not have done that. I physically, intellectually, and emotionally could not have done that. Yeah. I think I have things like that, too, where they are seemingly easy tasks that I avoid, and when I sit down to do it, I get distracted easily. And I'll, you know, I'll, I'll come up with any excuse but to do it. And, it, and I'm thinking, it's only going to take an hour. Just sit down and do it. And, and as I start combing my way through it, um, at the university, I'm in charge of outcomes in the CFT department. And there are parts of it that, that, that I really enjoy, the bigger picture stuff. But the individual tasks of editing charts and putting in numbers and evaluating averages and stuff, I, I can do all of it easily. But there's something about it that makes having a GA just wonderful. Yes. So that's sensing versus intuiting, right? There. Sensing versus intuiting. So yeah. which one am the I? The sensing is the fact stuff. So you're intuitive. You see the big picture. Yeah. You want the results. You want the overview. You want the the big data. Yeah. What is the meaning of this? Yeah. But collating and, and collecting and analyzing the data is... I can do that. Absolutely. And it's it's not... It's not impossible for me no. to do, but yes. but but in that instance, anyway, it's very. Um, yeah. I sit down and I go, "Oh my yeah. god!" And that my GA, she does it in like fifteen minutes. Right. She's like, "Bup right. bup bup," and right. she's like, but, and, and she doesn't have a frown on her face. She's happy, <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh, thank God, you did that." That's I'm just right. so happy, you know. That's right. Putting yeah. her name on the authorship and everything. That's right. But I, I wonder if in other areas of my life, when I actually am very sensing, because I feel like. That description fits me as well in, in other instances where I So you're I can going be, to be cuspy on the – so you're not going to be at one end or the other of the continuum. You're going yeah. to be someplace toward the middle. Yeah, there's some – I feel like there's other things where I'm very detail-oriented or I can be extremely minute and interested in the minutia. I but, can do APA citation information. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. What's What are other examples of, of sensing? My sister who's a sensing person – is an accountant. Yeah. And so she comes over and cleans up my books two or three or four times a year because uh-huh. I get all befuddled. And once I get off, I don't know where the air is. I can't find the air. For her, it's like a detective novel. Yeah. She just adores it. She thinks it's fun. Uh-huh. 
All right, Anne. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I have one more thing, though. Okay. It's Our Deepest Fear by Marianne Williamson. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing smile does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us. It's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. And that typifies for me the Myers-Briggs and Jungian philosophy. I like it. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today, Anne. You are so welcome. I've enjoyed it again. That does it for another episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there, and please take care of yourself. Hello and welcome to Psychology in Seattle. I'm your host, Kirk Honda, licensed therapist. I'm Mandy, Kirk's cousin. And I'm Umberto Castaneda. I recreate World War I dogfights. Please visit psychologyinseattle.com. Go there and donate, people. Donate. There's been a long time since I've seen anyone donate, so donate. I'm going to go tonight and donate. <laughs> or send us a message at contact at psychologyinseattle.com. We always love hearing from our listeners, so send the love, people. And you can support us by telling friends about us, particularly if they're in the field. Today, we have a special guest back on the podcast, Dr. Ann Blake. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. She's my new BFF, and she's <laughs> also a co-worker. We are both professors at Antioch University. She is here to talk about the Myers-Briggs tests. Berto and Mandy filled out the Myers-Briggs test a couple weeks ago and has tabulated the results, and she's here to tell Berto and Mandy about their psychological preferences in how they perceive the world and make decisions. That's so, correct. Sound good? That's totally yeah. correct. All right. Although, well, this resulted in me being, like, hospitalized or put in the hospital bed. Well, we'll see. A straight jacket. Well, oh. never mind the two men with, <laughs> with the big net. They're, they're here to help me. <laughs> yeah. Only if you want all that. So we'll, we'll start off with a brief introduction since we did an episode previously about the Myers-Briggs, which you can listen to. So take it away, Ann. All right. Well, the Myers-Briggs type indicator is based on some work that um, C.G. Jung did. Um, C.G. Jung was a contemporary of Freud's, and so in the late 1800s, um, C.G. Jung died in 1961. So in the 1950s, Isabel Myers and Catherine Briggs devised the MBTI based on Jung's four psychological types. This is just an instrument to give people some information about themselves. Umberto, are you nervous? I am not actually nervous. I am actually curious. I've never taken this, but you have. I have taken it before. Who would like to go first? Ladies first. Oh, well, I guess that's me. All right. Let's do it. All right. Lady. (laughs) Um, On extroversion, introversion, you're just slightly more extroverted than introverted. Same with sensing and intuiting. You're just slightly more sensing than intuitive. Um, The feeling and judging are both very similar in terms of the moderate. So what that means is that 
you're not really, really specific in your typology, that you've got lots of flexibility, and you can go left or right, you can go up or down. And the one way at the bottom on the left, the ESFJ, is what you came out as. But you can also see that because you have slight and moderate scores, you're also in three other quadrants. And so you can use the characteristics and preferences and skills in all those. So let's just read the ESFJ. Okay. ESFJ. Warm-hearted, conscientious, and cooperative. Want harmony in their environment, work with determination to establish it. Like to work with others to complete tasks accurately and on time. Loyal, follow through even in small matters. Notice what others need in their day-to-day lives and to provide it. Want to be appreciated for who they are and for what they contribute. Is that you? I don't know. Is that me? What do you think? Do you think that's you? Well, I haven't read any of the other boxes, so I don't have any comparison to think like, oh, that's me. That's me too. But sounds like me. Not that I want to be like, all these good things are me. That's not very humble. So you have both extroversion, which is, again, getting energized by interacting with people, as well as introversion, which are at the top. And that is getting your batteries recharged by being alone. You've, you've got some back and forth on that. Um, you tend to be only slightly more extroverted than introverted. And the same with sensing and intuiting. So sensing, again, is about making sense of the world via your senses. So people who are sensing get it about time, they get it about schedule, they get it about factual things. And people who are intuitive are more, I just know this because it's true for me. I'm the feeling one, right? S is sensing, just slightly more than intuiting. Oh, well, I'm more about the scheduling and the organized Well, that's the that's the J. Oh. That's the J. For sure. I mean, people who are sensing pay attention to scheduling. People who are J really want things organized and scheduled and on the calendar. But again, (laughs) you're slight there. Mm, So you're also perceptive, which is about possibilities. So in some senses, Mandy, it's almost more like a dilettante, which means that you can do many things. But it might be hard to figure out exactly which direction you want to go because all options are possible. Mandy is planning another uh, family reunion. Uh, she says that we're planning it, but actually Mandy is planning it, and I'm just I'm and, and I'm just sort of along for the ride. <laughs> I just CC you on everything. Yeah, but that, that's about it. <laughs> it's, it's emerging naturally. Uh, there's actually a Japanese American museum in Yakima, which is where our Japanese American ancestors are from, from Yakima, Washington. Uh, from Wapato, and there's a display there with with our relatives on the wall. I mean, not them, but pictures. Of <laughs> and uh, they're doing some heads. They're doing some sort of dedication over the Memorial Day weekend, and we're going to go and with our whole family. And That's she's excellent. she she's she's organizing and all. She's got all the dates. She's telling everyone what's up, you know, and and so she's very. Uh, much a planner and and very organized, extremely organized. And so are you, you in your day book. Yeah, I'm very organized. You know that song, Eyes Without a Face? Yes. I always thought that that was by the Talking Heads. Mm-hmm. Isn't that weird? Like, because it was Eyes Without a Face and it was like Talking Heads. Yeah. So in my mind, it was like a head. T- I don't know. That relates to what we were talking about, how... <laughs> 
<laughs> because uh, we were talking about your family portraits, and so I was thinking of like all your family's heads on the wall talking. <laughs> Why did I ask? I should have just moved on. I really don't know how the wiring works. In there. <laughs> we'll talk about that next. Ah, you're on deck. Don't worry. But uh, but read that description again, Mandy. I, w- I want to hear that. I yeah. want to hear that one again. Really? Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Warm-hearted. Do you think you're warm-hearted? Gosh, I don't know. You can ask me every adjective that comes up. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I think I am. Yeah. I can be a cold bitch, too. Don't doubt that. Yeah. Don't but... doubt that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I'm pretty loving. Yeah. Conscientious. Yeah. Yeah. Cooperative. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm not that cooperative. I don't know. Maybe. But again, you're, you're cuspy on some of those things. Yeah. I think I'm kind of stubborn. Do you want harmony in your environment? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But who doesn't? What's the opposite? Uh, enjoys conflict in life. Well, well, introverts would not necessarily emphasize that as a preference. They might, they wouldn't say in their description they're, they, they want disharmony, but that's not an emphasis. Not import- it's not as important. Yeah, no, I do. I don't, I don't like things simmering or disagreements or, you know, having, you know, mm. being with an, be on, being on the outs with somebody. Yeah. I don't like that. Are, are you comfortable in uncomfortable situations? <laughs> you know, like, um, are you comfortable when you're uncomfortable? <laughs> no, but meaning socially uncomfortable situations. Do those make you uncomfortable or are you someone that can kind of roll with the punches? No, I see the the part of it that I would, I would always say that I'm extroverted cause I'm loud and like to talk to people, but I'm also pretty like, I'd be uncomfortable in an uncomfortable situation. I'm uncomfortable in a, in a group setting where I don't know anyone. Or I only know one person, but that one person knows other people and they're going to go and talk to those other people. And I'd be like, uh, you know, I'm so awkward. I don't know how to jump in and just, hey, I think you have a normal level of extroverted discomfort. But on the scale of discomfort, you're extremely comfortable with, in, in my observation, befriending random people. So some, you know, we, you and I have met random people before. That is under different pretenses. Not me normal. That's not me normal. That might be me on cocktails. Well, you know what? Um, I always thought that Material Girl was saying by Cindy Lauper. Dude, stay on point, please. <laughs> you said that. No, I. What? You were singing okay, that. I was like, dude, dude that's true. Material Girl. It, show me the recording where that's true. No, you don't have it. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. I do like to be alone. I don't know. I feel like it's a bad. It's a bad trait of mine. But like, I want. I'm not proud of it. Like you want to do nice things. It's like you want to be selfless, but you want somebody to notice and be like, right. I give a shit that you did this. It's like, I did all this. <laughs> Just acknowledge. All you have to say is, hey, <laughs> thanks for doing that. Or, hey, you did that. I notice. And right. it makes a difference than like, why do I do this when I have a tendency to be a doormat because you want to do all these things for people because you like them or right. you care about them, but you can end up, they just take People are takers, and I'm a giver, and somewhere in here is, like, giver trait, you know? Right. And that's, like, a... That's a bad thing for me. Would you say, like, would you want to be famous, for example? No. People going, like, it's Mandy! Oh, my God! No, I've never thought about that, no. Okay. When you're introverted, what is that like? Because the test seems to put you just slightly extroverted as a person. That's surprising to me. I would just, I would have really been like a given. Like, yeah, I'm extroverted. 
Do you sometimes find yourself just needing to be alone for a while, like for a night, to recharge your battery? Or Yeah, I like that. That's introversion. Oh, well, who doesn't like that? Some people don't. That's right. That's well, right. I, I mean, it's different because I live alone. I don't have anybody who's be around me anyway. Don't you want to recharge the battery the night before, the next night? <laughs> Wait, what are we talking about? God. I'm sorry. I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> I feel like it's, I'm not the most social person, but like I, I can make plans every night of the week. Right. But then like that one night, I'm happy. I'm like, ugh. I'm just going to do nothing and be by myself for a little bit. Right. But I feel like everybody does that. When you say, but doesn't everybody, everybody does that. That's true for you because you've got four squares out of the 16 that make sense in terms of your taking the test. So for you, you've got that wider band of behaviors and preferences and talents. <laughs> I'm 25% of everything. <laughs> you are. You uh, are. Do, some, do, do many people only get one square heavily? I wish I knew the statistics on that, but, um, but lots of people, like Umberto comes up with two. Oh, really? I mostly come up with one. Really? I do a little tiny bit of Is four common? Or do people get six? Do people get eight? I mean, like, you really got it. like, how many is the most you'd say on... There was a girl that got five one time. It was crazy. You're close <laughs> to breaking the record. You're close to breaking the record. I'm curious, though, like, is four, like, actually, that's a lot. Most people don't get four, or, you know... I don't know those statistics, but that's a really... For you, as, a, as in the history of your proctoring, you'd say, well, I've had a couple sixes. So here's, here's where my typology comes in, and that is thinking is, is my inferior function. And so to do logical, sequential, categorizing and cataloging, which I can't even say, that's really hard for me. So I've never paid attention to that. But I will from now on. Thank you. So what's Mandy's shadow? What's a shadow? Mandy's shadow shadow is that which we are not willing to accept as us. So the things that we admire in other people... Because we're externalizing that, and the people and the things that we get irritated by in other people—that's our shadow, and that is really us. But it's our—it's somewhat connected with our inferior functioning. Now, you don't have much inferior functioning because you're so balanced. Wow. Well. So my thinking and feeling <laughs> score is very clear. You don't have any clears, and you don't have any very clears. You just got moderates and slights. So I'm not sure Mandy has a shadow. I think Mandy's really well balanced. Okay. Booyah! So very... Suck it. What about very un, unbalanced people? Are they all her shadow? Yes, exactly. That's her shadow. Oh, I'm your shadow, Mandy. Oh, God. <laughs> Why couldn't we just have left it with, I don't have a shadow? Well, let me ask you, Mandy. Do very extroverted people or very introverted people bother you? Like someone who, you know, is very extroverted and, and socializes a lot or someone who, who would never socialize uh, seemingly. Woo! Let's go to the party! Come on! Let's do it! Woo! Uh, oh, God. Well, he's really bothering me. <laughs> Whatever he is, there's maybe no, no category for him. So that would be your shadow. But, That's that. Maybe oh, it's like... Oh, okay. I don't know. Really extroverted? Is that like really loud people? Because I have a coworker who's so loud and I want to punch her in the face. No, not necessarily. Oh, I mean, okay. it's just people who get a lot of energy by socializing and, and really don't ever need to be alone. They don't prefer it. So what are your annoyances and what are your admirations? What characteristics do you admire besides Humberto? Oh, I did not say that. 
<laughs> well, she, you didn't need to. <laughs> Who do you admire and, and what about them? I have a very agreeable best friend who's just like, she's like a kindergarten teacher where it's just so, so kind and so genuine, so pure in her, you know. This doesn't seem like things get her as riled or that she seems to, you know, have as much evil thoughts as I do. <laughs> Why do you look at me when you say that? That's... So, you know, just somebody who seems to write it out. Doesn't even have like, never even comes to me about problems with her significant other. I'm just like, God, you're so balanced. You know, doesn't anything ever like, I'm sure, of course it does, but it's like, not like me or, you know. So there's the, there's the thing right there. So admiring and putting her up on a pedestal sort of and not like me and so the theory is that those things that you admire about your friend are you but they're just not as strong in you they don't you don't feel at home with that coat on and there's your growing edge is to 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 not be like somebody else but take that on and see what that's like for you to be kind and and uh, balanced and unruffled like unlike those curtains Mm. And that's a and that's a particular Jungian psychology way of putting it. Yeah. So it's it's that what we project out into the population, into society as not us, really is us. And that we shortchange ourselves by saying, Well, that's not me. It is you. It's not as developed as it is in your friend. But as we go through life, then those are the things that we can develop more to be more whole, more fully ourselves. Mm. Um, C.G. Jung talked about people not really becoming adult until 35, and probably because we live longer now, it might take even longer. And so what about things or people who annoy you? Disorganization. Mm-hmm. Somebody doesn't seem to have a handle on things, where I would be like, I want to put a handle on this. Yeah. Or I need to know what's going on. You need to tell me, you know? Yeah. So again... So, or mess. That kind of includes yeah. like lifestyle, you know? Yes. Yeah. So that could be part of your shadow, probably is. And in terms of being a a fuller, wholer human being over time, it might be a little useful for you to lighten up a little bit and not... (laughs) We don't want you to be a slob or to... Lighten up. (laughs) (laughs) And have times when you can be a little messy or a little less organized. I get messy when I'm alone. (laughs) Only when I'm alone. Is that weird? All right, Berto. Okay. I'm ready, man. Uh-huh. Give me some ammunition. <laughs> <laughs> so, Berto, so yours is um, extroverted, intuitive, thinking, and perceiving. And look at yours. You've got very clear in extroversion. You've got very clear in intuition. You have a slight and thinking feeling, so those two aren't very different in you. You go, you could go both ways, and then perceiving is clear, so a little more certainly than moderate, and and um, so your preference is more in terms of being flexible and spontaneous. Your um, extroversion about um, focusing your attention on the outer world of people and things is very clear. Your intuition about taking in information from patterns and the big picture and possibilities is very clear thinking feeling you could go both ways in terms of logic which is thinking and values and subjective evaluation which is which is feeling um how about reading the entp entp which is again extrovert intuition thinking perceiving correct that uh says it's um 
these type of uh, top tier, one of a kind individuals are, <laughs> uh, well, okay, maybe I added that part, but they're quick, ingenious, stimulating, alert, and outspoken. They're resourceful in solving new and challenging problems, adept at generating conceptual possibilities and then analyzing them strategically, good at reading other people, bored by routine, will seldom do the same thing the same way, apt to turn uh, to one new interest after another. Seldom do the same thing the same way. Every every time we start the podcast, what does Berto do? So wait, that's not my fault though. Like it's a changing marketplace. It's hard to get work, so I I change jobs a lot. But that's not because I want to. Interesting, interesting. Huh. And I wonder if you would get bored. You might not want to change as much as you do, but would right. you get bored if it was I the same thing every day? I get bored of the day? same jobs. That's right. Hmm. right. Yeah. So this is not about um, valuing. It's about differences. And right. when we know ourselves and others, we can just get right. along more easily. <laughs> it's not about who's better. No, no, it's not. I mean, that's sure. been decided I mean, already. We are, yeah. When we did the, uh, what was the other I, thing? Yeah. I'm 25% of everything. What's the personality I'm thing? the perfect balance. I'm your well-balanced breakfast. MMPI. Okay? Yeah, the MMPI. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So here, in the very clear, again, if we had a continuum um, that had um, extroversion, introversion, you would be way, way, way high on extroversion. In terms of that shadow we were talking about, it's, it's likely that people who are very quiet and retiring just irk you a little. Oh, you can't even understand <laughs> how much I get irked by this. Yeah. I mean, it's so frustrating. Like, I can't tell you so many times at work and in other contexts. But at work, see, in other contexts, I can just bypass, move along, not have to do it. But at work, you have no choice, right? Sometimes you have no choice. And so there's those folks, and they mean well, I'm sure, but they're sitting there, and you try to extract data or information from them, or, and it's just like a rock, a, a wall with no... Oh, my God. Yes. These are other dogfight trainers? Yes. What? Yes. No, World War One was brutal. Right. So there's a lot of vets that I talk to, and they're very introverted. So. Right. Well. So your <laughs> challenge, should you accept it, is about, over time, seeing the value in that other perspective and seeing that part in you. Because, again, if you only use your right hand for things... Your left hand's going to atrophy. Oh, he uses his left hand, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, here's the challenge that I have, right? I think I think you're absolutely right. Like that, This makes conceptually a lot of sense, you guys. We're talking seriously about psychology here. You know, like, I'm trying to make a connection with someone, and they're just not opening up. So it's so difficult. But but you're right that I feel like that's a challenge that I have. And they might be having a similar kind of a experience <laughs> on the other side. It's like, why can't he just let me Shut be quiet? <laughs> yes, I, I can totally imagine that. And so similarly on the, the sensing, intuiting, yes, you're so intuitive. And I wonder if you get, let's just say, annoyed at detail. Yes, <laughs> tremendously so. Yes. Yeah, Berto has complained to me often about when he's at work and he gets put down and put in his place and rejected for his big picture thinking, right? Yeah. Yes. What happens is, it, I mean, again, it's another area for growth. Um, <laughs> Good job. I had a joke, an ongoing joke with a friend of mine about the lazy comedian. And the, the thing was, it's not going to be funny now, but we always imagined this lazy comedian who basically did things like, ah, so a man walks into the bar. 
Well, you get the rest of it. You know what? I'm, you know where I'm going with this, right? And that's the that's so good. so they don't have to do the punchline because you get where I'm going with it. Um, so that's how I feel a lot. It's like, look, I, I'm going to propose a big idea. If you're not smart enough to connect the dots and see where this is going, then I'm not going to have time or patience to connect the dots for you. Yeah. And that does happen to me a lot, and it does get in the way because uh, a lot of people. Uh, well, anyways, people that I interact with that happen to not be like that, they might be expecting or wanting yeah. connected dots that they can relate to. Yeah. So, yeah. so this one, the, the sensing intuition, is the one that, that does have more discomfort between people than any of the other aspects, any of the other pairs. And so I, I told the story to Kirk earlier about my sister and I. So I'm fairly intuitive and she's fairly sensing. And so when we <coughs> talk to our brothers on the phone, the, then we'll call the, the other sister. And if I am the one to call my brothers, my sister will have all these questions about, well, and then what happened and why was that? And, well, and so give me details, give me facts. I have none of that. <laughs> I have it was a great conversation. That person's either doing well or doing poorly. You know, I have a, I have a sensation, I have a um, intuitive sense about the situation, but I don't have facts, and it's frustrating to her. It's a little frustrating to me to be asked for those facts. For her, just let me finish that one thing because I see you cogitating over there. For her, when she talks to our brothers and then we call each other, she's got all this information. It's just like overwhelming to me. Detail, detail, detail. And then she says, backing up, and she'll give me the backstory. That's way more information than I want. Right. And because we know that about each other, we kind of laugh about it and we, and we are playful about it. And you're thinking about something. Well, this is fascinating because I, I have some sort of weird combination of this that happens to me. So uh, as an example, uh, someone who's close to me, this happens frequently. There is an event that happened or some, someone that did something and I want to hear the story. And actually, I experience what you were saying your sister experiences, which is I want details. I actually do want details. You do. Because to me, I want to experience, I want to have been there. I want to have been there. And I missed out on this thing and I'm pissed off that I wasn't there. So I want to recreate the perfect simulation of what happened. Yeah. The flip side is if they're telling me a story about something that they care about that happened to them that I haven't requested, I immediately start zoning this way and like get to the point so it depends on your interest yeah yes yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely Good. and then Good. i think it's the same way when i'm recounting it's like if i'm telling you about the party and the thing that we did i want you to hear all of it because it's the experience i want to recreate that experience because you weren't there and i'm pissed you weren't there right? i'm exaggerating but and then on the other hand if if you're asking me about like how was your day at work i'm like uh, just uh, don't worry about it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so this is a great example of this test and these descriptors are not boxes that you're in. Mm-hmm. And there's a fluidity to all of us. And Mandy, you have a little more fluidity because, yes, yeah, so you're bobbing your head back and forth. That's cool. And and Umberto, you have a little less fluidity, but you can Robot. be different in different <laughs> situations and depending on what's interesting to you, because all of these are available to all of us. Right. So this one's interesting because you were asking about people that we admire. Yeah. So I actually really admire organized people that have a plan and that can follow those plans. Yeah. Like Mandy. Yes, like Mandy. Oh, you aspire to me. I aspire to, to be me. like Mandy. <laughs> ah. More. Mm. Uh, 
Uh, no, no. But seriously, like you know, if you, if you're if you can plan these complex like wedding things and or not weddings, but family reunions and things, I could do a wedding. Uh, that's impressive. <laughs> Call me. I'll do it. <laughs> now, it oh, oh speaking be... of weddings, someone asked me to marry them. Oh, really? You did that recently, right? You what? asked Kurt to marry you. No, I mean, you know... When That's you not legal. That's, officiate. When you legal. officiate. Officiate. Oh. I was like, somebody proposed, a crazy person proposed to you, yeah. and you didn't tell me? Yeah. It's no offense, person out there, but don't... That's crazy. No, no offense, fictional person that I thought was real, but now is not. <laughs> you, they asked for you to perform their wedding. Yeah. Perform at their wedding. No, officiate. <laughs> Did you say you yes? Did you did that. Right? I did. Yeah. Well. I'm ordained by the Universal Life Church. Thank you. Wow. See. Oh, see. Did you do it too? Have you done it? Yeah. Oh, Wait. I got to talk to you guys to find out about this. One of these people isn't like the other. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'm gonna get ordained in Satanic Church tonight. Well, I thought as a marital therapist that has seen a lot of divorces and cheating on people and all that kind of stuff, I should also experience the other side of life. Happiness and the joy beginning and celebration yeah. before all the divorces. Did you say yes? Yeah, I, but I'm nervous about it because I don't. I have no idea. But I, I talked to Eric Warren, our friend. Who's, yeah, yeah, yeah. He does it all the time. He's done hundreds of them. Yes, and he gave me the rundown. But I still. These are strangers, though. No, no, they're friends. Oh. Yeah. No, no, not. Strangers. I was like a random. Like stranger? someone just calls me out of the blue. <laughs> I was like a listener asked you to perform their wedding. They didn't propose, but they asked you to per- perform their wedding. So you've you've married someone? Yeah. Uh-huh. That, that just amazing. Are they still together? Yeah. Yeah. All right. My first marriage is is coming up on one year. So so literally anyone can marry people. The, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the legal no, yeah. e- even an ESFJ. <laughs> <laughs> well, but my point was like, okay, so you yes, can plan yes. these weddings and these yes, family reunions, yes. and I admire that. And yeah, when. When I plan things and I really put my whole into it, I actually tend to be obsessive about it, and I actually do a good job. Yeah, but yeah. it takes a lot of mental. There effort you go. To do it. There you go. Yeah. So when we do things that are not in our current typology, because we can expand and and broaden ourselves and fulfill ourselves, it takes more effort. Right. We were talking earlier, um, Kirk and I, about jobs. That when we have jobs that don't fit our typology well enough, we are fatigued a lot. So my job requires a lot of thinking and a lot of organizing. It's not my strongest suits. I can do it, but I get tired. Right. You, you've had a lot of jobs where you have to actually sit and just work yes. by yourself. Yes. Do you find that it's not tedious? It is tedious. Oh, it is. So if you had a dream job, would it be like the CEO or the, the, the dream maker, the guy who comes up with the ideas and then everyone else implements it? Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, here's here's the dream job. <laughs> Nondescript of, like, what, uh, you know, what industry or whatever. I am in a room. It's filled with people. There are whiteboards everywhere and lots of windows. And I just get to talk. And draw bad drawings on the whiteboards, <laughs> and they turn my my thoughts into reality, and we make billions of dollars together. E N T P. There you go. E N T P. You know, and I don't I don't make schedules. I don't. I just out of my brain comes ideas, and people turn them into reality. <laughs> well, and there are jobs like that, right? <laughs> so when you see Despicable Me and all those minions. <laughs> You, you just you just drool at the mouth, right? Uh, well, no. To be to be fair, because uh, I am a thinker. <laughs> no, to be fair, I actually 
I actually, but part of my extroversion is a collaborative extroversion. I, I, that's why I like parties. That's why I like going out. I actually don't like, uh, because I've worked with someone like the despicable me person that you're mentioning. I don't like that. I actually like more like, Hey, we're all equals here. Let's just, but you will listen to my ideas and I won't lift a pen. Just get, let's get that clear. But, but I'm not evil. You're not my minion, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so again, that's a really great example, Umberto, about it's valuable, valuable to have all the different kinds of typologies around us, depending on the task, right. so that somebody can do what, what she or he does best and you can do what you do best. Right. Yeah, and you're painting it kind of negatively. Uh, Berto and I, you know, we've been in a band together. We were in a band together for a long time, number a couple bands. And um, we had the most elaborate live shows in Seattle. <laughs> yes. Uh, because Berto and I are both on the same page that we, we both think like this, um, that we want lots of things happening, and we have lots of ideas. So we'll be in the car, and we'll be like, ooh, what if we got this? <laughs> and, then we, and then we implement it. You yeah. know, we actually, like, go. So, I mean, it was crazy. For you music nerds out there, get, get this. We had our own sound system that we'd bring to the, bar, that we'd bring to the club. Right. All of us would have headphones on. With a di- with a different audio feed of the live sound, and n- there was barely anything that was pre recorded. Right, and in the end, there was nothing pre recorded. Right, um, we had a video. I would make a video that synced up with the song exactly. <laughs> so when when we changed each measure, the scene would change, and oh. I picked different video stuff that would that would you know match the mood. We had c- computers and several yes. keyboards and yes. like drum sounds and like but it was all live and it we was had crazy. two keyboardists uh electronic drummer yeah. meaning someone playing an electronic drum kit four singers yeah four singers four and, microphones and they were playing exactly to a click meaning you know and that's not an easy thing for most for a lot of drummers to do because it had to stay exactly in sync with the video if it got off the show was ruined and it never happened. And it never happened. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we practiced a lot. A lot. Yeah. So it was a lot of creativity, a lot of idea, a lot yes. of dreams that were coming alive yes. on stage <laughs> yes. at Chop Suey. But I think it was, so that was a good combination of personalities in a way, because Kirk was uh, more of the of the planner and uh, kind of, well, let's get a schedule, let's do this. I was able to use my, my creativity and stuff like that, but in that framework of like, because I think if I had been left to my own devices, I have all the same ideas, but I don't know if I I would have gone and done them. Um, and then maybe maybe Kirk by himself would have maybe had some ideas, but not had a creative partner that was excited about also doing the same kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a really good, nice combination, yeah. And Mandy, did you ever see these shows? No. Yeah, you did. You came to see us at Mars Bar when our bandmate screamed at the, uh, <laughs> at the sound guy and, and our grandma had to hear him swear at him. Remember that? You were there, right? Of course, but I don't remember like the, oh, the dreams coming alive that night. <laughs> <laughs> okay, did we have so, a video? Did no, we have no, a video no, no. that night? This is fantastic because, see, in our memory, we had these grandiose things, you know, but the re- it's like that uh, Family Guy episode where the realities were all like high and stoned and the audience is like, what the hell is going right. on? <laughs> I think it was better in your mind. <laughs> Well, clearly it was better in our mind. Uh, <laughs> I know I, I wasn't high, and I don't really, re- I don't remember my mind being blown. But I'm sure in some universe, it, re- it really rocked. In the universe of my mind, it was, it was, wild. it was badass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't the, even remember the video? Those dreams came true somewhere. Maybe we didn't have the video. There wasn't no, en- there was no enchilada. We had the the liquid now thing, but it was nowhere. It was. Oh. No, this was not our our show with Carlos and uh, oh, okay. 
This was before that. And do you still do this? Because I'm like wanting to see it. But are, are dreams still coming true? <laughs> <laughs> our our bands are in current hiatus, but Umberto was actually uh, supposed to complete his CD. Of, I am doing that this year. Of I, Billy Joel style songs with piano, and, and he promised the podcast listeners that he would provide a complete buyable iTunes thing by July or something like. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah. that's the goal, yes. Yeah. But the listeners want to know. I know. Your fans. It's really good. I've heard it, um, some of it. It's really awesome. Berto, Berto actually had a song that was on a, on a TV show. He sold a song to a TV show. Well, it was show. on the intro of a TV show. Yeah. What cool. show? A Canadian TV show south, south of nowhere. Like it was a 90210 kind yeah. of show, and it was like, it, it started off with Berto singing the song. Oh, I want to hear it. And you get royalties, right? I did get some royalties. Not a lot of money, but I got a little bit. Okay, we ready for phase two? Tougher Bluff. So Tougher Bluff is a game we play where we say a statement, and you try to guess whether we're bluffing or we're toughing, if that makes any sense to you. What is the difference? True, true or false? True, true or false. Yeah, true or false. False so is bluff. Bluff is we're bluffing you, oh. and tough is it's tough, it's true. Okay, thank okay. you. So don't look at my screen because, because it has the answers. All right. Se- tougher bluff. Serotonin stimulates childbirth or contractions in the uterus, and it also directs attachment with loved ones. So serotonin not only stimulates childbirth, but it also directs attachment with loved ones. Mandy, tougher bluff. Gosh, I should know this, shouldn't I? Mm-hmm. I haven't had a child, though, so I don't have to know it. Yeah. We'll go with tough. Okay. Serotonin increases the attachment to the loved ones? It's associated with attachment and childbirth, yeah. Oh, in childbirth. Tough. And I should know this, too. And I can't do the tougher bluff, but I'll do false. That's bluff. That's bluff. That's bluff. bluff. So you're bluffing. You're saying those, bluff. You're, you think, you think I'm bluffing. I think yeah. you're bluffing. I am bluffing. It's oxytocin. Yeah. Oh. oh, I knew that. Oh. Yes. I knew that. Yes, yes, yes. All right, I'll do one more, and then, and then we'll go around again. <laughs> Just before his death in 1980, John Lennon told his personal assistant that if he were an American and could vote, he would vote for Ronald Reagan. Tough or bluff? Just before he died, Ronald Reagan was running for president, right, against... Carter, and he told his personal assistant that he was going to vote for Ronald Reagan. Bluff. No way. I just know. All we are saying is give Ronald Reagan a chance to <laughs> inflict war on the world. Uh, I mean, I'm going to say bluff just out of principle, but... Yeah. I'm going to say it has to be bluff, and I hope that we're not all wrong, because I would just be demoralized. It's tough. What? No. Oh, I, I you always say, where did you find no. that? Is that I saw true? a documentary... And a guy went around the world interviewing everyone who had ever bumped into the Beatles before. And it was this wonderful documentary you have to watch. It's on Netflix. It's, it's on. What's it it's called? On, What's I it called? I can't remember what it's called. Damn, but, send it to me. But he found John Lennon's personal assistant and he was interviewing him. And one of the things that came up is he said that John Lennon said he, he if you know, if he could, he lived in New York City at the time. Right. Wow. And he said, if I could vote, I would vote for Ronald Reagan. But you see, the thing is, is we both we're me and Berto are huge Beatles nuts. John Lennon hated mainstream. Yeah. So he probably sensed that there was a lot of hatred against him and just sort of wanted to say that something. Could be. You know what I mean? It, also, was, it was ironic. No, nah, <laughs> but also he also was getting older. And a lot of the baby boomers started to become conservative. Hey, hey. That's why Ronald Reagan got elected in the first place. We're getting personal now. All right. Tupper Bluff. 65% of Elvis impersonators are of Hispanic descent. 
<laughs> How, what percent? 65. 65. That's just local enough to work, man. I'll go with uh, tough. Could you see Umberto as a possible Elvis <laughs> Totally. <laughs> What's up? Can you do some Hispanic Elvis right now? Sexy hey, Spanish. Hey, hey. How, how what do you do in Spanish? Well, what's the line he says? Uh, hunka, hunka, burning love. Hunka, hunka. Oh, wait, wait. Burning love. Uh, amor caliente. That's that's a hunka, hunka. Armor. Amor caliente. <laughs> I'm going to do right. a Hispanic Elvis impersonator. Can you can you do thank you very much thank you thank you very much muchas gracias muchas gracias so what do you think tough or bluff oh I said tough all right all right I'll Go. say bluff it's probably a little less with your improv yes. right here I'm going tough that's right I'm going tough it's it's bluff. It's oh. 65% are of Asian descent. Oh, Asian. Oh. 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 I've even seen them. I think oh. I've seen all 65 of them. <laughs> so wait, can you see me as an Elvis? Actually, my mom sometimes says that, that I kind of look like Elvis sometimes. Although I, I have fantasized about a full white sequin bodysuit with a cape. See, see. Who doesn't want a cape? I mean, he could go to work every day <laughs> with a cape. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> All right, here we go. The expression, wing it, <gasps> originates <laughs> from uh, England. They have a bird in sight. It's terrible hunting, visibility, weather, etc. So they say, oh, just wing it. Because essentially you could hit it in the wing and still, still get the bird down. Ooh, that's good. That's good. Uh, bluff. That sounds weird. Tough. I don't know. That sounds so well. Okay, we hit it in the wing. Okay. Hit it in the wing. Just wing it. I'm bluff. No, no, no. Did right. you do it? Did you? No, did you no. change did one you tiny word? It? Did you burrow it? I did not mandy it, by the way. <laughs> oh, I don't no, do that. I don't did. do that. I've you done did. that like once. Okay, so, uh, no, no. Did you split hairs? Oxford English. It's, so it's a bluff. Oxford English Dictionary suggests that wing it refers to the hurried study of the role in the wings of the theater. Ooh, that's good. So you're you're like that makes sense. You're like, oh, we need a new sh- a new Hamlet. Oh, I don't know. I'm just looking from the side here. Oh, we just wing it. <laughs> Basically, that's it. Good. Uh, Cram so. it right then in yeah. the wings. And what do they call that person who's who's uh, under, oh. understudy? <laughs> I just about yeah, had it. <laughs> okay, tougher bluff. L. A. has the highest murder rate in North America. Tougher bluff. L. A. has the highest murder rate. In North America, meaning per capita, that sort of thing. A bluff. I bet it's someplace like Detroit or <laughs> Chicago. I was going to go with one of those, too. Uh, I'm going to say bluff. It's D.C. Oh, D.C. I'm going to say bluff, and I know what, of the top 100, the lowest or the second to lowest is Muskegee. Muskegee. <laughs> I just heard that today. Okay. Well, everyone south of the border is now upset at you because you didn't even consider. Uh, but anyway, it's bluff. It's it's San Pedro Sula in Honduras. Oh, this oh, was wait, wait, wait. This is worldwide. I said, I, no, I said North America. Oh no, but that's Central America. No, it's North America. No, Honduras is Central America. The, I think it's North America. No, it's Central. I think it's North America. Then there's no Central America. Right. It's North and South America. No, you just minimized all America. of Central America. That's all included in North America. No, 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 no. As someone who grew up not in America. <laughs> South America. That's right. Uh, we know that there's a, center, a Central America. So, so you pulled a Bluff. Mandy. You pulled a Mandy. <laughs> you pulled a bird out. Well, do not. I don't. But anyway, they, each year in, in Honduras, the city in Honduras, 
point they have a point one point one five percent of the population is murdered. Holy cow! Uh, and Juarez is is close to that. Huh. Almost one percent of the population is murdered. Point one five percent of the population oh, is murdered. One tenth. Of uh, in Seattle, what do you think the percentage of 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 people are murdered in Seattle every year? Sorry. So out of every thousand, one and a half are murdered. That's right. That's a lot. Out of every 10,000, 15 are yeah. murdered out of every 10,000 Wow, wow. okay, that's a lot of people. So what about, what about in Seattle? So maybe 500 out of 500,000? Uh, 0.01. It's 0.003. Wow. wow. We have very few murders in wow. Seattle. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, about 20 people in Seattle are murdered every year. Oh. Wow. Yeah. I was thinking more 500. And each one is reported on the news to make it seem like people are getting killed all the time. Exactly. If Seattle had the same murder rate as Juarez, which I've been to before, there would be about 1,000 murders instead of 20. You've been to Ciudad Juarez? Yeah, and it didn't seem dangerous to me. I bought a Popsicle. When? 2,000. Oh, that's 2,000, dude. But it was considered to be very dangerous at the time as well. But you really wanted that Popsicle. I really wanted a limon... Mexican pop, like you know, they call them something. There's a Mexican popsicle they sell on the street. Mm, makes my mother, my 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 mother, wow, <laughs> my mother, wow. <laughs> okay, uh, all right, one more, and then we'll go around. An Australian accidentally discovered that lithium makes guinea pigs docile, and in so doing, stumbled upon a treatment for bipolar. An Australian accidentally discovered that lithium makes guinea pigs docile. I wonder what he was doing with lithium to guinea pigs. <laughs> but he was doing something to guinea pigs with lithium and suddenly discovered it made him docile and then thought, hmm, I wonder if this works for humans. And that's where lithium, which is still being used to treat bipolar, came from. Tough or bluff, Mandy? Tough. <laughs> I mean, it sounds very believable, so I'm going to say bluff. So in Ashland, Oregon, they have lithium in the water, and I actually tasted it last time I was there. It doesn't taste very good. Oh. A fountain in the middle of the town that you can go up and taste the lithium. It's really yucky. Yeah. So the question is whether it was an... Is everyone really mellow in that town? If they drink that icky water. Yeah. But mm. people are pretty mellow in Ashland. It's a nice place to be. Accidental discovery. Oh, no. Bluff. Bluff. It's tough. Is oh, it? Oh no! You no, know, it sounded really believable. According to the interweb, it's it, it's tough. So <laughs> consider it fact, friends. Consider it fact. Maddie, tougher bluff. I already said tough. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's your turn. Oh, sorry, I wasn't listening. <laughs> it's your turn. You're looking up the answers on your phone, aren't you? No, I'm not cheating. That's an I'm not pulling an Umberto. I cheat now. I died, Oh, I'm being accused of too many things. I'm being accused. Listen, just go ahead and mandy it. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. All right, so it's your turn. Okay, go all right, all right. I thought I had a good one, but I lost it. No, no, it's your turn to say tougher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right. No, it's not. Don't play with me. <laughs> 71% of office workers stopped on the street for a survey, agreed to give up their computer passwords, in exchange no. for a chocolate bar. Come on, 71. No. Tougher bluff. Well, because they could figure that they could go home and change it. But how much is a chocolate bar worth to someone? 71 is way too high. I'm going to say bluff 40%. Chocolate is really, really good. Really? I might give a password for chocolate. <clears throat> if I can. I'm gonna, but I'm still going to say bluff. 71%, that's kind of dumb. But you know what? Jay Leno, I don't know if you stay up late. Yes. He goes out on the street and he asks people stuff. They don't know anything. 
So I, I'm going to change my vote to tough. But they know they want to be on TV, though. Yes. <laughs> I'll say tough. Chocolate is a powerful motivator. It's tough. That's Yay. crazy, man. Yep. I know you can run home and change it. Well, would you give your passwords out if someone offered you a candy bar? I don't really like chocolate. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but if somebody offered me like a cookie, I'd probably do it for a cookie. You would. I like cookies. Would you actually give them your real password? I mean, why, how would anybody know where yeah, I work? That's the other or, thing. It's yeah. Like, actually, they? that's funny. It's like, yeah. okay, here's my password. Yeah. But no, I mean, if there was any chance it could be hacked, then no, of course not. How do they know they gave him the real password? That's just not even. All right, fine. It's on the internet. It's true. <laughs> well, Le Miserable. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, the novel, not the, not the musical, uh, was very influential in triggering the French Revolution. Tough or bluff? No, it was about the French Revolution. So, no. Tough. Uh, bluff. <laughs> yeah, bluff. It's about the revolution. Bluff. <laughs> bluff. It's a bluff. Oh, oh because, because, but... Here's the even bluffier bluff. Um, Le Miserable wasn't actually about the French Revolution. It was about a conflict that happened a few years after the French Revolution. Because like most things, the French Revolution wasn't like an open and shut case. Like there was still a ton of strife and more discomfort and stuff. So like years after the revolution, another big kind of uprising happened in this area. And that's what the novel's about. But the novel was definitely way after the, the revolution. As a kid, I always did kind of have this impression that like, Someone wrote Le Miserable and people revolted in France. That's that's what I always thought. Oh, so this is just what this would have tricked you when you were younger. Yes, I'm projecting. <laughs> I have a tougher bluff. The movie Lincoln, one of the representatives from one of the states called in and said, actually, an error in the movie. The state, this state, which will remain anonymous for the moment, actually voted for abolition. And in the movie, they said it voted against. Oh. Really? Tough or bluff? Sounds, sounds possible tough. Tough? That would be nice. It's too toughy. I'm going to go bluff. I, I fooled one person at least. It's Connecticut. They said Connecticut voted no and Connecticut So they really voted, did. Yes. They, so made, they really a made a mistake in the movie. And now, of course, what are they going to do about that? Are they going to redo the movie? No, they could just, Steve Spielberg will just go and, you know, when they raise their hand, they say, no, he's just going, yay. You know, they'll do the George Lucas. Yeah, yeah. They'll yeah. have uh, Jabba, <laughs> digitized Jabba going, yes, we vote yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that does it for another episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us and please take care of yourself. Thanks for joining us, Anne. Absolutely. Thanks. Thank time. you so much. Nice to meet you. It was very fascinating. This was great. Yes. I'm sorry for their lewd behavior. Mm. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. absolutely fine with me. Okay. Did, you, did you warn her? It was way fun. I'm a, little right. bit, I'm a little bit of everything. Are you surprised about that? Knowing me for as much as you know me? Yeah, I am surprised. I am surprised. <laughs> I would have thought I would have thought you would have been much more on the um judging side, but you're on the perceiving side. Judging. Because you're much more of a planned, organized person, in my mind. I, I thought I would be the judging one really strongly, because there were a lot of questions that were like, you like things organized. You like things to, you know, go as planned, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I answered all those like, hell yeah. But you must have also answered a lot of hell yeah to the perceiving sides of things. No. Being spontaneous No, I, I feel like I would have been more about the judging. I thought you would have been so much more judgmental. <laughs> oh, I am. Oh, I am. Uh, 